Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a special message from our guest speaker, Pastor Seb Murda from Saints Church. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Well, thank you, Pastor Harrison, and thank you guys. Uh, You may be seated this morning. Uh, It is an honor um, for me to be able to come and speak to you guys today. Um, I felt really emotional all week, and uh, it wasn't just because I was coming to speak to you guys, but... um, (laughs) But I do think there is something special. There's something special about this. There's something special about um, being someplace different that still f- is family. And so it's just, uh, it's just a blessing. Your pastors are amazing. I want to give a huge shout out to Amy and your guys' worship team. You guys killed it this morning. Um, it's really fun being a part of like, you know, seeing where something came from and then seeing where it is now. And I feel like I've been able to just like stand on the outside and just watch uh, God work through Pastor Harrison and the whole team here. Um, and I'm just, it's just, it's just so cool to see how uh, Kingdom Church has grown, see how the worship team has grown, see how you guys have been able to come into this space. And God has just provided uh, all that you need and he's going to continue providing all that you need. And I'm just excited to continue watching and continue seeing what God is going to do uh, in and through Kingdom Church. So... Let's jump into it today. Uh, Pastor Harrison did me dirty this morning. He pretty much stole all of my verses. So uh, I'm just, I'm just going to say happy Palm Sunday. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. Um, I'm kidding, but uh, this Sunday is Palm Sunday. And uh, I was talking with Pastor Harrison on the phone earlier this week. And one of my, the thing I hate the most about preaching is actually coming up with what I'm preaching about. And so, you know, once I know what I'm preaching about, it's like I can start kind of walking down that journey. And so I was talking to Harrison, and, you know, I'm the worship guy at Saints, and so I'm like, well, I'm the worship guy, so, like, I could preach about worship, but, like, that feels like I don't want to just be the worship guy, you know? And he's like, well, it's Palm Sunday next week. I'm like, yes, Palm Sunday. Okay, awesome. I will preach about Palm Sunday. I don't have to touch worship. Don't have to deal with that. I'm not going to be the worship guy. And then I started studying Palm Sunday, and guess what? It's about worship. So, uh, you know, the Lord knows, and, uh, and I, I believe that this word is for you today. I believe that God has something that he wants to speak to you. Uh, I'm just going to jump in with a prayer. First, God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you speak to your children. We thank you that your word is living and breathing and moving, God, and that you can speak new revelations to us every single day. God, I thank you that despite Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday coming every single year, you want to teach us something new today, that you want to bring change in our lives and in our hearts. And we just pray, God, that as we walk towards you, as we look to you, God, that we would die to ourselves and that we'd be raised in you. God, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Palm Sunday, I grew up in a tradition, uh, I grew up in a non-denominational church, and so Palm Sunday wasn't a thing that we did. We just like sort of ignored Palm Sunday. And so when Pastor Harrison said, speak about Palm Sunday, I was like, I, I think I know what Palm Sunday is, but I realized I didn't, I didn't really know what Palm Sunday was all about. I remember... Uh, uh, this one memory from early on when I was a kid, I think I was probably like seven years old or something, we went to my grandma's church, and they celebrated Palm Sunday, and I remember we all got up in our Sunday's best, and we went into the church, and we grabbed, they gave us like palm leaves, or I, I, it probably wasn't palm leaves, it was probably some sort of plastic or something, and uh, and they gave us robes, and I remember like, we did this whole thing where all the kids were like in the center aisle laying down the robes, and I don't know who Jesus was, probably the pastor, walked down the aisle, 
And uh, it was just this whole thing. It was just this big celebration. So if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, Palm Sunday is the week before Easter. It's the week that Jesus is finally entering Jerusalem. He, he, uh, the book of Luke says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem and he started walking towards Jerusalem. And all throughout Luke, you see that, that uh, Jesus says that he's setting his face towards Jerusalem. He's setting his face towards Jerusalem. But it's not until this moment, this big climax moment, that Jesus is finally entering into Jerusalem. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, never speak about Jesus being in Jerusalem up to this point. This was the first time they're talking about him being in Jerusalem. Now, he, he likely was in Jerusalem for the other celebrations during his ministry, during his life. But this was the climax. This was the moment. This was the destiny. Jesus' destiny was about to start happening. There's a lot of stuff that is surrounding this story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. You know, you hear about these people that are laying down palm branches and laying down their cloaks at Jesus' feet in this celebration, but I was wondering, where, were the, like, where did all these people come from? Like, why, why was this such a big thing? Why, why, were, you know, why were strangers laying down their robes for Jesus? They didn't know. They didn't know Jesus. Sure, the disciples knew Jesus and, you know, the people he fed, the 5,000 that he fed, the people who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Some of them knew Jesus, but there's a whole bunch of people here. How did they know Jesus? What were they doing? Well, there was a whole bunch of socio-political forces at work in this moment. This is, this is not just a climax for Jesus' life. This is like a climax for like all of Israel. This is a climax really, I mean, we know now, this is a climax for the whole world. See, the Jews that would have been there, the Israelites that would have journeyed into Jerusalem at this time, they were wondering, how is God going to free us from our current oppression? At this time, the Jews, uh, all the Israelites were under Roman exile. They, they had been under exile for a couple hundred years, 600 years. Uh, and they had been waiting. They had been waiting for a prophesied Messiah. They had been waiting for someone to release them. They were thinking back to Exodus. They were thinking back to when they were in Egypt. You know, they were, they were in slavery for 400 years, and God sent Moses and, and saved them from that. And they're thinking how, you know, later on when they were in exile, in Babylonian exile, that God sent people to bring them out of that. And so they're, they're wondering, who is this coming Messiah? Who is this person who's going to bring us out of this Roman exile? Who is the one who is going to free us from our oppressors? They all expected Jesus to bring change the way that they had seen in the past. So if you have your Bible with me, if you turn to Psalm 118, uh, and Pastor Harrison asked if I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to read the whole thing. So uh, buckle up. Um, Psalm 118 was written during the Babylonian exile. So, you know, a few hundred years before Palm Sunday, uh, this, this psalm was written, and it was written when Ezra and Nehemiah, they were rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. So they had been taken, Jerusalem had been pretty much like crushed to the ground. All the Israelites had been taken to Babylon. They were under exile, and finally, after a number of years, they were able to go back into Jerusalem and build the walls back up. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, there's, there's books in the Bible if you don't know much about them, but you can read those. Um, but they rebuilt this wall, and, and it's, it's this amazing story of, of rebuilding a wall, and there was people that were guarding the wall while the other people were, were building it. And, and so it was like this big team effort and just this amazing story. And this is when Psalm 118 was written. Everyone would have known this psalm. So, like, to put it in context, like, nowadays, it's like the song, Greater You, Lord. 
or like we say this morning, how great is our God, right? Like everyone knows that song. You go to any church, how great is our God? You go to any church in the world and they know it in their language. So it was just this song that everyone knew, everyone understood the lyrics, you know, they, they'd probably been singing it for a long time. You know those songs that you sing for a long time and you're just like, you, you just sing them but you don't actually think about what they're saying, right? Like pretty much every song that you've sang like 20 times, you're like, I really like the melody, but you forget what you're actually saying. So everyone knew this psalm. Everyone knew this prophecy, that this, this, this amazing thing. And it was actually a psalm that was used during their public worship time. So when they would come together and when they would worship, they would say this psalm together. It was kind of a call and response. And the thing that was a little bit different about this psalm is, is that most would have known that this was a prophetic psalm, that this was not just talking about something that had happened in the past, but something that was going to happen in the future as well. It prophesied about their coming Messiah, their deliverance. So let's read Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord to trust than to trust in princes. Though hostile nations surround me, though Rome may surround me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded me and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he will not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. And here's the, here's the important part. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. That's a long chunk of verse, but it's so important to understand what Psalm 118 says because as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, as Jesus is entering into these gates, this is what they're thinking of. They're thinking of this whole Psalm 118. They're thinking, though the enemy surrounds me, though Rome surrounds me, though these people surround me, I will have victory because God is my victory. They're thinking, we sing songs of joy to God because his right arm is going to come and do glorious things. I will not die, I will live. And that's when they say, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna. 
That's the scene that we come upon on Palm Sunday. Hundreds of years of angst, of prayer, of hope. And finally, Jesus was on the way. Would he bring them deliverance? Was this their deliverance? Now, I don't know if anyone in here is an Oilers fan. Is there any Oilers fans in here? Come on, come on. Okay, okay. I wasn't sure how many there would be. Uh, just for those of you who are not Oilers fan, now is the time to jump on the bandwagon, okay? I'd never been able to say that before uh, with confidence, but it's time to jump on the bandwagon. You don't want to wait till next week or till we're in like the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, or the finals, I mean, because uh, we're going all the way, okay? I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to say that. But if you are an Oilers fan, there was years. There was probably, there was, I think there was something like 10 years, the decade of darkness, they call it. And uh, the decade of darkness was like, we all thought that Taylor Hall was the answer. We all thought Jordan Eberle was the answer. We all thought Ryan Nugent Hopkins was the answer. We thought that these guys were going to fix our problems. But it wasn't until that fateful day when he says, and the number one draft pick goes to the Edmonton Oilers. And Connor McDavid was chosen by the Edmonton Oilers. And finally, after all these years... After all these years, we finally have the hope to move on past the years of brokenness. Now, if you're like me, you have many years of weeping and gnashing that you can now put aside, hopefully, and we can, we can move forward. And it's funny because, uh, you know, the Oilers are just this stupid thing, really. Like, at the end of the day, they have no eternal matter, but... For those who are Oilers fans, you understand that angst. You understand that like, ah, man, are we ever going to do anything? Are we ever going to make it? Are we ever going to make it past the next round? Are we ever going to win a Stanley Cup again? That's what these Israelites were thinking. Are we ever going to get out of this persecution? Are we ever going to make it past where we have been? Are we ever going? Yeah, there was the glory days in Israel with with King David. You know, for us, it's Gretzky. There was the glory days. Are we ever going to get back to the glory days? Jesus had all the records. He'd done all the right things. They believed that he would be the answer to their problem. A few weeks before this story, we find the story of Jesus with Lazarus, and he calls Lazarus out of the grave, and he he raises Lazarus from the dead. We see stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We see him feeding thousands upon thousands and healing anyone who was brought to him. He had the resume. He had all of the things that they expected a coming Messiah would have. So that's where we come across Palm Sunday, Luke 19, 35 to 40. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That sounds a lot like Psalm 118. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teachers, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. In this very, very brief narrative, we see three different groups of people. And each of them responded differently to the approach of Jesus. Today, I want to look a little bit deeper at how Jesus desires that we respond to him. My, my sermon title is The Crew, The Crowd, and The Critics. So I want to look at each of those, and as we approach Easter, I want to recognize that Jesus deserves to be praised for who he is. 
So the first group of people that we see in this story is the crew. His followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. A number of years ago, I was in Bali, and uh, we went on a, we went, me and Haley were on our honeymoon. I think that's actually went, like, that's exactly the same time that me and Harrison met each other because my roommate at the time was worship leading with Pastor Harrison, and he covered for me when I was on my honeymoon. Anyways, complete aside. Um, so we were in Bali, and Bali is in, in Indonesia, and we did uh, like a six-week, no, a three-week honeymoon, sorry, and the first week and a half, it was just me and Haley, and then the second week, we invited all of our friends to come join us in Bali, which was an absolute blast, and there was one day, uh, when you're in Bali, all that you do is you just scooter around, so it's like, it's just a magical place. You scooter around, you eat good food, and you just hang out. And so we were scooting around. We had like 12 people on scooters just ripping around the countryside in Bali. And we came to this little restaurant, and we pulled over, and, and we, we decided to eat uh, at this restaurant. And so, you know, we're all sitting down, and we're just eating, and it's just like, it's just amazing. And if you've ever had, you know, you, if you've ever had a fruit from Canada, uh, which all of us have had a fruit from Canada, but if you've ever had a fruit that doesn't grow in Canada, but it exists in Canada, and then you have that same fruit in the country where it grows, you realize that these two things are not the same. These two things are very, very different. And so we're sitting there and we're eating, and my friend is sitting beside me, and she's eating this dragon fruit. And, you know, the whole table's, like, kind of quiet because, like, we're just all enjoying our food. And I look over, and she's literally weeping. And we're like, why are you crying? And she's like... I've never had a dragon fruit taste this good before. And it was so much better than the dragon fruit she'd ever had before that it brought her to tears. Now we found out later that there was like palm sugar that was drizzled all over the whole thing. So it was like totally, you know, it was padding their stats. But sometimes our responses can't be controlled. Sometimes when we're eating something or when we're doing something, our responses can't be controlled. And this is, this is what the disciples, was happening with the disciples. They saw Jesus coming in. They saw what they thought was their salvation coming in. They saw this man coming into Jerusalem, and they could not help but praise him. Their, their response couldn't be controlled because they, they, just, they just saw what their destiny was. The problem was that they didn't understand they were caught up in the emotion. Now, the cool thing is that their response was actually right. Their response was to worship God. But their motive was not. See, a few chapters earlier, we come on the story where Jesus and his disciples are, are heading into a Samaritan town. And he sends his two disciples ahead of him and, and says, hey, go find a place for us to stay. And they go into the Samaritan town, and the Samaritan town, they don't welcome Jesus. They don't want him to stay there. And so there's this funny conversation between two of Jesus' disciples and him, James and John, the, the sons of thunder. And they said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritan village? They didn't accept you. They didn't welcome you in. Let's call down fire to wipe them out. When you have that view of how these disciples saw Jesus, they saw him coming with fire and brimstones. They saw him coming conquering, coming and wiping out the Roman rule. They saw him coming to bring a change. So much so that just because someone rejected Jesus from sleeping in their town, they wanted to send fire on them. This is what was in the minds of the disciples. 
Luke 18 gives us a little insight. Luke 18, 31 to 34 says, this is before, the, before Palm Sunday, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. But the disciples didn't understand any of this. The significance of his word was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. See, they, they saw this king coming in with, you know, on a noble steed, coming with his army and with fire and brimstone, taking over the, the Roman, taking over all that the Romans had done. And, and Jesus saw something different. He'd been saying the whole time, it's those who humble themselves. I've realized that the disciples needed a revelation of Jesus in their lives. They needed to understand who Jesus was. For us today, I wonder, are there areas that God has spoken to me, to you? Are there areas that I've read in his word that I say, oh yeah, that sounds great. Oh, God's going to do the thing that I want him to do. And God's saying, no, there's something I have different for you. Are there areas that he's spoken that I haven't truly considered? Are there areas that he's challenged me that I've brushed aside because it wasn't convenient? It didn't fit my desires. It didn't fit my goals. Now, the, the beautiful thing about God is that despite our impure motives at times, when we worship God and we truly lay everything down at his feet, he begins to reveal himself to us. That revelation comes through the worship of God. As we worship him, he brings us closer to himself. As we worship him, he reveals himself. As we worship him, even with impure motives, he begins bringing the right heart into us. As we sacrifice ourselves and lay ourselves down, he begins showing us who he wants us to be and who we are in him. John 12, 16 says, his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. See, he had told them all. He had told his disciples, hey, I'm going. He was pretty clear. Like, he literally said, I'm going to get killed and be raised from the dead in three days. Like, it's not any clearer than just him straight up saying that. But they didn't get it because it didn't fit what they wanted him to do. But it says, but after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered See, he had given them a partial revelation, but as they began to worship him and as they saw the fulfillment of who he was, they realized that, that he was so much more than they ever thought, that he was bringing about so much more change than he ever thought, that he wasn't just bringing a change for the nation of Israel. He was bringing a change for the world. Sometimes we don't see the plan God has for us in the moment. But when we look back and we see his provision and his providence we begin to see the plan that he's working out for us. Are there things that I've prayed for, that I've sought God for, that he's answered one way or another, but I haven't taken the time to look back? Wow, I told her to come up at 23 minutes, and I'm like on point one of four. So uh, that's, that's fine. I'll take the vibes if you want. Um, the second group that I want to look at today is the crowd. The crowd. So who is this crowd? Why are they worshiping Jesus, laying clothes and palm branches? I, I already kind of explained that. John 12, 17 to 18 says, Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Not only that, but during this, 
this week, Palm Sunday, leading up to Passover, leading up to Easter Sunday, there would have been, there would have been about 50,000 people living in Jerusalem. And, and during Passover, that population would have swelled to 100, 150,000, 200,000 people. There would have been a ridiculous amount of people making the pilgrimage from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. So all these people are, are, are camped along the side of the road. They're heading towards Jerusalem for Passover. And they see, Je- they see Jesus coming along. And they wonder, is this the one? Is this the one who's come to set us free? Is this our national savior? Is he the one who would break the yoke of Rome from our backs? Luke 19.36 says, As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. They had heard things and seen things Jesus had done. You know, it says that people were talking about him raising Lazarus from the dead. And I wonder how many of those people that were along the road were thinking, hey, why not just take a gamble? Maybe this is the guy. Why not jump on the bandwagon? Maybe this is the year. Why not? Maybe, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's our liberator. They saw people around them worshiping, so maybe they should just join in too. What could it hurt? They worshiped him, but their desire for what he would do was not yielded to him. They believed that the Messiah would come in the way that they thought he would. Once again, their response was correct, but their motive was not. They believed that the Messiah would come in the way that they thought he should. Some of us today might be on the fence. Maybe we've heard about Jesus. Maybe our friend has talked about Jesus, about all the things that Jesus has done. But maybe we want him to do what we want. We want him to help us the way that we want. We want, and we, we believe maybe that, you know, I'm just going to try this Jesus thing. I'll see if he's a magic genie that I can rub the, rub the magic lantern and, and he's going to answer my three wishes. And if that's the case, then I'll follow him. But the problem with this view is that we're actually making ourselves God. We're saying that God needs to yield to my will. But that's not how God works. See, the crowd, that's how they were viewing Jesus. Oh, maybe, you know, if he brings deliverance to us, then I'll worship. I'll, I'll worship him now a little bit, just so that, like, I can say, you know, I can say I did it. And if he brings freedom, then great. If not, I didn't lose too much. But they needed to learn that they needed to yield their will to God. And the third group of people that we look at is the critics, Luke 19, 39 to 40 says, But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So the Pharisees were in this weird middle situation. See, they, they were, in some ways, they represented Israel's identity because they were the religious leaders at the time, but they were also kind of in Rome's back pocket. It was a good situation for them. So they're like, oh man, like, I like Rome and I like Israel and like, we better not stir the pot too much. Let's not stir the pot. Let's not worship God. And Jesus' response, if they keep quiet, if you keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. See, the, the beautiful thing, as Pastor Harrison said earlier, is that nature cries out. Jesus doesn't need to be praised by us. He doesn't need our praise. He's not this egotistical maniac who's just looking for praise. 
The reality is he's so worthy, he's so beautiful, he's so great that we can't help but praise him. That nature can't help but praise him. I have a friend who, he was high on all kinds of drugs and he was, he didn't know Jesus. He had no understanding of Jesus. And I mean, he was, he was high. So like this part of it could have been because he was high, but he literally was walking down the road one day and he looked up at the sky and he said, the skies declare the glory of God. He didn't know God. He looked at the skies and they, they declare his glory. Every sunrise, every sunset, every single day, nature declares his glory because he's worthy. The Pharisees' hearts were harder than stone. So hard that stone would sooner praise him than the Pharisees. When I was doing my research for this, I was, I was, you know, I was just trying to figure out how much time exactly there was between the Babylonian exile and the return of the Messiah. And I saw one of the saddest things that I've seen. I clicked on this, this link. <laughs> and the first answer was, well, it's 2,600 2, years and counting because the Messiah still hasn't arrived. And it was written by a Jewish man. See, the Pharisees' hearts were so hard that they missed it. They completely missed it. They wouldn't humble themselves so they would see it. And there are people today that won't humble themselves to see that God is here with us now. That the Messiah is here. That he's, he's walking amongst us. And sometimes I miss the Messiah. I wonder what does God want to transform in my life that I won't humble to him? What does God see in my heart that's too hard for me to give it to him? We can fool ourselves into believing that God needs our praise for himself. But I've come to realize that we praise him for our benefit. As we praise him, everything changes in our hearts. As we humble ourselves, we see that he makes us more than we were before by his spirit. See, Jesus transforms our perspective while we worship him. While we become less, he becomes more. While he becomes more, our lives are raised with him. Colossians 3, 3 to 4. I can't ever preach a sermon without bringing Colossians 3 in. For you died in this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. See, when we die to ourselves, when we put ourselves in that grave, and we make Jesus bigger, he brings us along with him. So out of the three, out of the crew, the crowd, and the critics, who had the right response? Initially, I thought it was the crew. I thought it was his disciples. But then I realized none of them had the right motives. Some of them had some, somewhat of a right response, but the real one who had the right response was Jesus. Luke 19, 41 to 44. This is immediately after as he's walking towards Jerusalem. But as, G as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. 
Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your wall and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. What a sobering thought that Jesus was being praised and worshiped, the garments were being laid out at his feet and he's weeping because they were missing the whole point. They were missing what he was coming to do. Jesus wept. He wept because people didn't understand that it wouldn't be through an overthrown government that peace would come. They didn't understand that it wouldn't be through their desires that peace would come. They didn't understand that fulfillment in their life would, wouldn't, would come through fulfilling their dreams or fulfilling their destiny. They didn't realize that it was only through Jesus. It was only through Jesus. And not Jesus coming on a steed and wiping away the government. Not Jesus coming into your life and doing what you want him to do. No, it was Jesus coming and humbling himself on the cross. As I said earlier in Luke, it says, Luke writes that, that he set his face towards Jerusalem. And this is the last time that Luke says that he set his face towards Jerusalem. And as I was thinking and praying about this and I was studying this and I was wondering, what does this mean for me? I realized that as Jesus is weeping, as all these people are praising him, he set his face towards Jerusalem and what he saw was his father's will. What he saw was abandonment that was going to come to him the next week. What he saw was the cross. What he saw was your sin and my sin. What he saw was a week that was going to be hell for him, where he would literally go to hell. But that wasn't the end of the story. See, Jesus is, is getting praised and he's getting worshipped and he's weeping because nobody understood Four days later, four days after people were laying their cloaks down and worshiping, praise to the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Four days later, the crew denied him. The crowd that laid their clothes down under him mocked him and spat upon him. The critics that judged him crucified him. The king of the Jews, the one that would bring a revolution, hanging on a cross. See, Jesus didn't come on a noble steed, swords and an army. He came with a donkey, with a band of 12 washed up misfits, preaching love, hope, grace, and peace. Those things were accomplished by flipping everything on its head. It wasn't about being served, it was about serving. It wasn't about being worshipped, it was about worshipping. It wasn't about a revolution, it was about a revelation of who God was. It wasn't a crown of gold, it was a crown of thorns. That he who knew no sin became sin to set us free. See, Jesus is our example of what true worship is. Jesus is our example of what it means to humble himself. Philippians 2, 6 to 11. This is what true worship is. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Though Jesus was God, he didn't even cling to that. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 
When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, we praise God for who he is. We follow his example. We humble ourselves, even if we think that we are God, which we are not. We have a God that came from heaven to earth and humbled himself. He made his will. He said, God, take this cup from me if you can, but if that's not your will, I will follow you. He set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing his crucifixion awaited him there, knowing betrayal and complete separation from the Father awaited him there. He turned his face towards Jerusalem and wept, knowing that so many had already misunderstood what he was doing. It wasn't an accident that Jesus was in Jerusalem. It wasn't like a whole series of unfortunate events that let him stumble there and then people took him and crucified him. That wasn't how it worked. It was his choice. He chose to die for us. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So today I ask myself and I ask all of us, do we see Jesus truly as Messiah? Do we see him as Lord over all of our lives? Or do we see him as someone who might be able to accomplish some of our personal goals? Do we see him as someone who might be able to overcome those things for us, who, who might be able to, you know, bring whatever that might be. Now, the Bible has a million promises for us, and that's the blessing, is that he does come, and he doesn't deserve to be worshipped because of what he's going to do. He deserves to be worshipped because of who he is, but he's just so good that he can't help but do things. He can't help but bring change. He can't help that when you submit yourself to him, he starts changing you. He starts changing your family. He starts changing your situation. He starts changing all of the things that are in your life, your workplace. He starts changing those things because he is good. And that's why we worship him, not because of the change that he brings, not because of the result, but because he is good. Palm Sunday is a day for us to be reminded that Jesus came from heaven to earth to deliver us from death. He is worthy to be praised. When we come to Palm Sunday, we should not forget how we approach our Lord and our Savior. As Jesus reveals himself to us, it should draw us to worship him. As we learn about him more, as we read the word, it should draw us to worship him. If we don't, the rocks will cry out. Worthy is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Bible gives us an image of what true worship should have been, of what Palm Sunday should have been. Revelation 7, 9 to 10. This talks about something that's coming. It hasn't happened yet. It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe, and people in language. Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Come on, church.
He's worthy. Zechariah 9.9 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. He is righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Let's not make the same mistake as the crew, the crowd, and the critics in missing how we should praise him. We praise God for who he is. We praise God that Jesus came and humbled himself for our sake and that salvation comes from the lamb that was slain. Why don't we stand this morning? I just want to challenge us a little this morning. This, to be honest, this challenged me. I, I didn't want to preach about this. I didn't want to be convicted about this. I ask myself and ask you today, do, do we expect Jesus to fix our problems the way we want him to? We see him coming. We praise him. But his solution might be different than ours. I wonder for you today, how many areas in your life God wants to be Lord of, but you've hardened your heart and won't allow him to bring change. I want to ask you today, I'm asking myself, Am I following Jesus, his example? Am I setting my face towards Jerusalem, realizing that when I follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out for me. Jesus following and submitting himself to God's will meant that he was crucified. Do we understand that to live, we must die? To truly live, we must die with Christ. How will I respond to the Messiah? How will you respond to the Messiah? How are you preparing your heart today? I think in Christian traditions, you know, as I said, I grew up non-denominational. In non-denominational traditions, we don't celebrate Lent. We don't celebrate the lead up to Easter. But I wonder if maybe we should. How are you preparing your heart today, tomorrow, and every day to know him more? What are we laying down at his feet to allow him to be bigger in our lives? Revelations 3.20 says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Kingdom Church, friends, we are so much more blessed than the crew, the crowd, and the critics because we can have a relationship with Jesus that they never had. We can have a relationship with Jesus simply by asking him to live in our hearts. He says that he stands at the door and knocks and all we need to do is open that door and let him in. And maybe you already know Jesus, but maybe there is an area in your life that you haven't let him in yet. I would encourage you today, open up that door. It's not easy. It's not pain-free. But with death comes life. And with humbling ourselves before him, he will raise us with him. I'm just going to pray for us this morning. I really didn't want this to be a, a heavy, but I do believe that, that Jesus wants us to have a new revelation of who he is. So God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you, God, that you are a good God and that you have good plans in store. We thank you that you're worthy of honor and glory and praise. We say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. 
We declare that you are good and that you are great, God. And we just pray that you would become Lord over our whole lives. God, those areas that we haven't wanted to give to you, we just pray that we would die to those things. And God, we thank you that you didn't have to, but you chose to raise us back to life with you, God. You didn't have to partner with us. You didn't have to open yourself up to us. You didn't even have to die on the cross for us, but you chose to. You chose to humble yourself. And so God, we thank you for who you are. You are worthy. You are holy. We love you, God, and we worship you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.